Welcome to the education podcast from Community Trade Union. In this episode, hay is very much on everyone's lips at the moment. So we look at that in the here and now. In our Office of Spotlight, we interview John Roy and talk about higher education organising. And we bust those mock exam myths. Hello and welcome to the October 2022 edition of the Education Podcast for England. Before we get into the podcast properly, a few messages from us this month. November is recruitment month, so please, if there's anybody in your workplace not already in a union, encourage them to check us out, encourage them to join. There's always strength in numbers and standing together is really important. Yeah, remember last month we spoke with Nyla Khan and she was talking about if you recruit just one person each, the impact that that can have. She was also talking about the importance of forming branches and being a rep in school. So if you are interested in being a rep, then please do get in touch with your regional officer and they can put you in touch with the training. Forming branches is something we're going to be talking to John Roy, our um, one of our professional officers, about later on in the podcast. Thanks for subscribing for those of you that do so already and do encourage your colleagues or any friends you have who may be interested uh, to inform them about the podcast and share it widely. Leave us reviews and let us know where you're listening from. That's always of interest to us. And if you want to get in touch, you can email us at educationpolicy at community-tu.org. Please do get in touch. That email address again is educationpolicy at community-tu.org. Okay, so on with the podcast, uh, Martin, you mentioned in the introduction there that pay is the thing that is very much on everyone's lips at the moment. It's in the news, pay for everybody, pay for nurses, pay for train drivers. What about pay for specifically teachers to begin with? Last week, the latest edition of the School Teachers Pay and Conditions document was published. That's the STPCD that we've spoken about in this podcast before. And it confirmed the recommendations of the School Teachers Review Body and the government for teacher pay to be uplifted by an average of 5%, ranging from 8.9% for those at the start of the main scale on M1 to 5% for those on the upper end of the main scale, those on the upper pay scale and those on the leadership scale. There was also a 5% increase to all teaching and learning responsibility points. However, due to inflation, teacher pay still remains below the level it was 12 years ago. And even with this pay increase, your pay will actually not buy the same amount of things as it would have done last year. Everything else has increased in cost, shopping and energy bills being two of the particularly notable ones. So we know that all maintained schools, I think we mentioned this last month, in fact, all maintained schools are required to implement this pay rise, right? So so members should check their salary points, Uh, in school, check their pay slips to ensure that they are receiving this pay rise as they should. That's right. And this pay rise should be backdated to September. So members should also look out for a lump sum in their salary once this pay rise has been passed on to them. Um, It's important to note that this does apply in maintained schools 
but lots of academies and free schools will also follow the recommendations of the school teachers pay and conditions document and so they will be opening consultations um, with their trust boards they will have already begun to consult on whether or not they're going to implement this pay or lift if you are in any doubt do get in touch with your employer to ask when the salary uplift will be and how much you can expect to receive. That's right, we mentioned the £19.25 uplift last month. This is for uh, non-teaching staff and we are supportive of those non-teaching staff receiving a meaningful pay uplift. Unions had asked for £2,000 as a minimum. The LGA and other employer representatives have offered £1,925. And whilst this is less than it was asked for, it does represent a huge increase for those on the lowest pay. For example, it represents a 10% increase on those on spinal column point one to four, uh, which is broadly speaking in line with inflation. We also know that an additional day's paid holiday is likely to be awarded from April 2023 too. So once this has been finally agreed, look out for that to be implemented in your salary. For support staff, this pay uplift will be backdated to April 2022. So you should look out for a sizable lump sum coming in your salary. We do know that for some members that can cause a few difficulties, for example, members who are also in receipt of universal credit. So if that is you, do get in touch with your employer once the pay uplift has been agreed to consider how this back pay could be paid to you without causing problems for your benefits. So two points there, Martin. Uh, first of all, uh, just for uh, our listeners, LGA is the Local Government Association. And secondly, when you talk about support staff or non-teaching staff, specifically, who do we mean? Do we mean anybody who's not a teacher in a school? When we talk about non-teaching or support staff, most people's minds immediately go to those who do work in a classroom, so HLTAs and teaching assistants. But this also applies to those who work in the offices, um, who work in catering, who may be um, site or cleaning staff. It can apply to anybody who is employed in a school um, but is not contracted to work as a teacher. Yeah, and, and I think it's important that uh, our members and our listeners know that whatever happens, we do continue to lobby the government to say that there is just not enough money in education. It does not cover staff costs. It does not cover energy costs. And it's not enough to maintain and improve buildings, let alone begin to consider purchasing resources and really expanding the education of students um, in, in, in education settings. That's right. And the news that's coming from government at the moment is particularly worrying, as it would appear that there isn't going to be any more money coming education's way. We surveyed our teacher members over the summer to find out uh, exactly what it was like for teachers at the moment. And the results were very clear. 80% of teacher members feel that this pay rise is insufficient. In fact, 20% of teacher members are already struggling to cover their outgoings, you know, their bills, their mortgages, etc. And members have said that they wanted to rise their plight with MPs. And so this is going to form part of our campaign on fair wages for all, which we'll talk about in a moment. Yeah, it seems a bit crazy to, to not really know as we sit here recording this podcast who might be Prime Minister and who might be Chancellor next time we come to re-record the next podcast. But who knows what's going to happen with uh, with funding for education? 
So you've just covered our survey results on uh, teacher pay. Uh, where can our members go to view those results in full? So the results are going to be coming out as part of the uh, November sectoral emails. There'll also be an article about them in our next edition of Your Voice. And of course, members can find the results on our website. So that's teacher pay, of course. Uh, and then we are, of course, also concerned about non-teaching staff pay, those on lower incomes. So uh, do we have any plans to survey them? Uh, yeah, ones? we're going to be surveying uh, non-teaching and support staff throughout November with the same sorts of questions about how the situation with pay is affecting them and how it's impacting their cost of living. Uh, we're also going to be lobbying the government to address uh, the workload for all school staff, but particularly job creep among support staff, where we're aware that support staff are being asked to do more and more work without any additional pay. And all of this is feeding into our pay campaign, which is calling for fair wages for all. As part of this, we have some template letters to help people write to their local newspapers, councils and MPs, which is exactly what our teacher members said they wanted us to do. We'll also be inviting members to join us at local and national rallies. And although it's short notice, on uh, Wednesday, the 2nd of November, community will be joining the TUC rally. And if you're around, please go onto the TUC website, sign up, and you can join us on the 2nd of November. So joining us this month on the podcast is John Roy, one of our professional officers here in the education section at Community. Good morning, John. Good morning. So, John, before we get started on uh, a, bit, a bit on higher education in a moment, um, just want to tell us a bit, about, a bit about yourself. You know, how long have you worked here? Did, what brought you into trade unionism? Uh, I've worked with Community since January of this year starting just after Christmas. So uh, I was a care and support worker for eight years. Um, before that, I'd done bits of teaching, mainly music and instrumental teaching. And I was a workplace rep for most of my time as a care worker with representing, I think at one point, there's 70, 70 members in the workplace in the care charity in Sheffield. Oh, wow. So that's a, that's a good um, number of members to be looking after in one workplace then. Yes. Um, so so what area, do you, what region do you cover for, for the education section? The area I have responsibility for is the northeast. So everything north of effectively Middlesbrough um, going across to Cumbria as well. But I tend to work regionally. Uh, so basically anywhere north of Sheffield. Um, I do quite a bit of work in the northwest at the moment, Manchester and Liverpool. Excellent. So we're aware, I'm aware that you're trying to put together at the moment, and this is the bit I think that will interest um, some of our members, um, a, a higher education branch, aren't you? So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it started with uh, interest from, actually they weren't, they weren't even members at the time, um, interest from colleagues at a couple of universities in the northeast who were interested in finding an alternative uh, union. And it was, it came about that they were kind of interested in working across the region rather than just within their workplace because of the way that universities operate. They're quite uh, insular environments in terms of policy and and conditions and things every every universities has quite different approaches to, to uh, HR issues and staff policies and things like that so the idea kind of came about from talking to them and then 
because obviously we our membership in the higher education sector is never going to be as significant as some of the other unions working in the sector what we decided to do was see if we could work across a whole region and then have a branch that covers the region so that the members in that branch can use the meetings to kind of discuss issues and see how they've been dealt with in their workplace and see if they can get together and work to work out some solutions to issues by sharing experiences of different universities. Yeah, and that's what it's all about, isn't it? Like coming together to try and solve those issues across education. You know, that's what we obviously try to do. So where are you at the moment, John, in the process then of setting up that branch? Are you sort of, are you nearly um, there or you've already completed? We've got a branch secretary agreed, which needs to be put to the branch so they can be elected and see if anyone else is interested. Uh, we're looking for some of the other positions at the moment. So we need a branch chair and some other some other positions, so like equalities officer and things like that. The NEC is going to be notified at this NEC meeting, which I think is coming up in November. So after that, it will be signed off and we'll have our first higher education branch. So I'm sure then you'd love to hear from any of our listeners, any of our members who work in higher education if they want to be involved uh, in this branch. So um, what we'll perhaps say is, if they want to get in touch with us, they can get in touch with us using our normal email address, educationpolicy at community-tu.org, and we can always pass that information on to you, John. Yeah, I've written an article in the uh, Your Voice magazine, which should be coming out by email soon, uh, with my email address in it. So if Excellent, anyone's yeah. interested, they can find me in there. Oh, brilliant. So they can find that information in there. Yeah. So what's the situation uh, with our membership in universities at the moment then, John? Um, I actually did the numbers yesterday uh, with with help from our admin staff, and we have over a hundred members working in higher education across England. So that's and that is growing. So that's a pretty good number. And so, um, you know, in addition to the branch, what uh, sorts of steps do you think members can take? Can we take to start this to grow even even further? Well, if members are aware of colleagues in their departments or in the generally come across colleagues who are looking for a union to represent their views um, and would like and want to pass on their details my details I'd be happy to do that and talk to anyone who's interested in joining so the northern branch is the first one that we're setting up but that's the idea is to have in every region of community um, is to have a different branch for every region and then I mean we could even if we get there have the uh, annual national meeting in higher education branches with representatives uh, that would be an interesting thing to do. Um, that sounds fantastic what, I mean it's it's, yeah. it's great that you've already got um, massive plans and of course this ties in with the the uh, information that Nyla Khan was sharing with us uh, last month which is again to restate that if every member just invited one other person to join them uh, in community that could have a huge impact on both our membership numbers but also on the strength of membership within a particular workplace as Rob mentioned yeah. earlier you know we're stronger when we stand together. And what we're looking at doing in terms of giving some um, guidance and policy work and that kind of thing is we've already talked to members in the northeast about introducing some seminars on adult safeguarding so we're aware that a lot of universities don't have very rigorous adult safeguarding policies that they expect their academic staff to be aware of which is an issue we've identified 
which me and my colleague uh, Morris Charlton, who uh, works in North Yorkshire, we're both fairly well qualified to discuss adult safeguarding issues and give some training on that. So that's something we're looking at as one of the first actions for the Northern branch. That's been really interesting, John. Thanks so much for joining us uh, and giving up your time today to be on the podcast. Are you, are you sticking around for the next section of the podcast? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, thanks again. And finally then, for this month, it is the long overdue return of Mythbusters. I've been waiting for that for months and months and months to come back. I'm really excited. Uh, So the subject of Mythbusters this month is um, mock exams. We're getting towards that time of year when teachers are normally expected to prepare and set a mock exam in November, December, January, um, leading up to the final exams. Now, we know that in the last few years, mock exams or, or results from teacher assessments have been really, really important. So we thought this month it would be a good idea to cover these off. Many centres do these exams for year 10s and year 12s, as well as uh, year 11s and year 13s, to see how those students are progressing with their course. So my first question for you then, I suppose, Martin, in busting some of these myths is, can teachers be required to set these exams and invigilate them if they're happening during school time? Short answer here is if they are happening during their normal timetable teaching time, during their normal working time, then yes, they can be required to be there. Even if the normal timetable is suspended for exams to take place, teachers can be required to invigilate exams during this time. It is poor practice for you to invigilate your own subject. For obvious reasons, you may be able to give students additional help and that may artificially inflate their results. Um, But you can be asked to do this. It's a reasonable duty for you to be asked to invigilate. What about the setting of these papers then? Uh, Whose responsibility is that? The setting of mock exams is the responsibility of the school. If you are working as a subject leader or a head of department, then that responsibility lies with you. But it is all part of the school's policy on what happens with regards exams and mock exams and preparation for exams. The easiest and often the most effective mock exams are real papers. We would probably advise uh, that schools use the previous year's exam as this year's mock, since that is the most up-to-date, the paper which is most likely to reflect what this year's exam will also be like. So what about everyone's favourite subject then, marking these papers? How should the Mm -hmm. marking for these be done? Should you swap them with a colleague? Should students be marking them in class with you? Like, how should it be done? It's very tempting, isn't it, to hand out the papers back to students and to use these as a learning uh, activity. Um, Students do learn an awful lot from looking at exam papers. They learn an awful lot from the feedback that you give them in those exam papers. And so because of that, it's probably a good idea if they don't mark them, but students look at those papers after they've been marked. It's also a good idea uh, to mark them yourselves because this ensures that papers are marked properly and it can give uh, teachers an insight into the common errors that students are making. And we'd probably recommend uh, that they're marked in the same way that the actual exams are done, uh, which is to mark the same question for each student. So open all the papers to question one and mark all the question ones at the same time. This allows you as a teacher or a support staff member doing the marking to understand the requirements of the mark scheme. And then you can apply those consistently across that question for the whole class. 
And if you're part of a large department, it could even be a good idea to share out the questions because this will help with moderation of the results. So, for example, you could be responsible for marking all of question one and question two uh, for the whole year group. And your colleague could be responsible for marking all of question three and question four, for example. That is how exams are actually marked when uh, the GCSEs uh, and A-levels are completed. And so it's a good idea for schools to model that uh, system when they're doing their mock exam marking. OK, now you hit upon something there that I was going to ask you about uh, anyway, and that's to do with moderation. So in a post-COVID world, right, where we've had teacher assessed grades used for the last couple of years, now we're not expecting that this year, of course, uh, and we're not even expecting it to potentially ever happen again. But we do know that exam boards are being asked to build and schools are being asked to build resilience into the system. So all of this put together, then, are mock exams a, re a requirement? Do schools have to do them? Do they have to do moderation across other schools or across the departments within their school? And then perhaps after the events of those two questions, we'll come on to this resilience in the system issue. I had a really good look. I had an, an ask around some uh, other colleagues and there doesn't seem to be a definitive answer about whether or not mock exams are a legal requirement. However, the DfE does recommend that students are tested in exam-like conditions. And as you mentioned, this is particularly the case in a post-COVID world because it allows schools to ensure that they have some standardised data if the real assessments, the real exams are disrupted. In fact, the DfE published guidance in November 2021, which was obviously during COVID, to state just that, that students must be tested in exam-like conditions. Given that guidance came out during COVID, it's obviously no longer a legal requirement, but it does give us an indication of the direction that the Department for Education would like schools to travel in. And let's be honest, if students are going to be assessed through exams, it's important that students learn how to take exams. Sitting exams is a skill uh, that students need to learn if that's going to be the way they're assessed. Now, we've discussed lots of times, uh, we've written and spoken about ensuring the assessment system meets the needs of students, staff and schools, as well as being able to provide secure grades for colleges, universities, employers, etc. And so arguably, exams are not the best way to assess students. For example, when do, when do you or I as adults shut ourselves away from all sources of help? You know, say we're not allowed to use a dictionary. We're not allowed to Google something if we need that little bit of information. It would be a Have terrible someone... way of working. Absolutely. It would be a terrible <laughs> way of working. And yet this is what exams are. We shut ourselves away from all sources of help and look to produce our best work in around about two hours. If this is the system that we've got, it's not unreasonable for us to prepare students. They need to look at the, this, the, the, the way that questions are asked, need to develop a technique in understanding how to respond to those questions succinctly and to make sure that they get marks for the things that they have said. Now, again, we've said before that this doesn't have to be a single final exam. Um, single final exams are vulnerable to all sorts of things, not just COVID, but illness in general, uh, the weather. Um, and, and so we would rather see a series of smaller exams, portfolios and other ways of assessing work to ensure that students are not unreasonably disadvantaged. It is worthwhile practising the sitting of exams if exams are going to be the way that students are assessed.
I do want to just say here before our inbox fills up with uh, any kind of complaints or anything else that uh, when we are saying post COVID or during COVID, of course, we mean that period of time when schools were closed or exams weren't able to be sat. We do appreciate, of course, that COVID is still around and on the rise now. And we always encourage our members and students to stay safe and take uh, appropriate and responsible action. And we uh, encourage employers to do so as well if COVID is on the rise in your schools again. So I think that probably puts to bed mock exams, Martin. Uh, as, as you've just said, we do continue to liaise with and talk to the exam boards about this, this idea of building resilience into the system and what that should look like going forward. Uh, so that is something that continues to be on our radar. So that's the end of another policy podcast for this month. Remember, if you do want to get in touch with us, that email address once again is educationpolicy at community-tu.org. You can follow us on social media for news, shared content and resources on Facebook, Twitter and on Instagram. If you need any help and advice, do visit our website at www.community-tu.org and check out our frequently asked questions and our advice centre and information sheets. If you're a member and you need casework support, then please contact your regional officer or call us on 01332 372 337 and speak with the duty officer. And finally, don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast to get it straight to your mobile device and tell everyone you know to join us on the Education Podcast. <laughs>